Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kosesanov. Herbal medicine is a really interesting subject and one that perhaps has fallen a little out of favor with the dominance of the pharmaceutical industry. However, that's where the genesis of all modern drugs really comes from. The absolute expert in this field is my guest today, Simon Mills, and I'm delighted that he's taken the time to join me. Simon graduated from Cambridge in medical sciences, has been a herbal practitioner since 1977. He has led the British Herbal Medical Association, the College of Practitioners of Phytotherapy, and the National Institute of Medical Herbalists. He served on government and House of Lords committees, and since 1997, he has been the secretary of ESCOP, the leading herbal scientific network in Europe that produces the defining monographs on herbal medicines for the European Medicines Agency. He's a member of the College of Medicine and has long been involved in furthering academic study in this field by co-founding several degree programs, both here and in the U.S., of course, he's a published, very successfully published author of many scientific articles and award-winning books. Simon, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So first and foremost, um, starting off with that, that um, at my opening statement, um, I think that herbal medicine has kind of fallen into a little bit of disrepute because it's not considered as scientific or as pure as, for example, um, a pharmaceutical. However, there are benefits to using plants as opposed to purified chemicals. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I mean, my interest in herbs has been very much led from actually from a Western medical background with the, uh, with the notion that these have been, first of all, very accessible. These have been the primary recourse for most people through most of, well, all our history and before uh, when they needed to get um, medicines and remedies to, to get well. Uh, so first of all, it starts off by being very, almost free as a, as a form of healthcare, uh, but it also has pharmacological logical impact these are plants that contain what we would now consider drugs and um, indeed the word drug itself comes from an old european word drogan meaning dried plant so uh, we, we're very much at the bottom of uh, this uh, where they're different and this is where most of the uh, complaint the modern times come from is that they're complex so that you know you don't have one single entity that you can uh, stabilize and that you can indeed patent uh, and develop as a separate uh, standalone uh, uh, entity. Uh, what we have is a whole basket of things, all, uh, most of which we know. know. Um, however, uh, if we adopt a different approach, uh, the approach that is used in traditional medicine, we, we use these plant medicines also differently. And uh, in, a, in a nutshell, I would say that what we're doing is not going in and fine-tuning the machine as you do with conventional drug, but you're nudging the body to uh, respond in healing ways. Um, and the job of the practitioner, uh, 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 the job of someone using herbs is to find the right nudge. Um, and there are all sorts of clues in traditional medicine and, and traditional approaches to medicine. Uh, that help you to find the nudge that fits that situation. 
right. based Just, very much on observation, not on dissection and instruments. So most of the traditional medicines were you know, traditional physicians were the same sort of canny people uh, that, uh, that that farmers were or sailors were. They would make very uh, comprehensive assessments of all the clues and make judgments about when to plant crops or when to set sail or indeed when and how to nudge the body to be better. So it's very much built from a different perspective. I understand. I understand. Does that mean that um, herbal medicines are not really applicable in acute situations? But, uh, you know, if you talk about nudging the body, that sort of implies a slow, more gentle response, or is that a misunderstanding? very much a misunderstanding. Um, first of all, we start with the fact that before we had blue lights and ambulances, this was all we had. Um, and herbs were not discovered by some romantics looking for some you know, nirvana in the future. These were people who needed fixing now, in most cases. So almost all traditional medicine was acute medicine um, because that was all that you did. Chronic, medicine, chronic treatments were hardly known. So the whole bedrock of herbal medicine is short term change and if you look at the major strategies they were sometimes measured in seconds in terms of outcomes uh, and some of our key uh, um, uh, mechanisms that we use for, uh, work in seconds so for example if you take a, um, a very simple example if you take a hot chili or a hot ginger uh, the hyperemic responses you get are within the first second uh, if you take a bitter uh, the response is further down in the gut in terms of release of hormones like cholecystokinin are well within a second uh, because it's a neural loop. So, no, we look for pretty quick responses, and in my work, that's how I judge them. I, my main requirement of a patient is to call me tomorrow. <laughs> right, absolutely. Good to hear. Um, of course, everybody knows about um, aspirin, which is, you know, um, originally the, the extract of a, of a tree bark as, as being sort of like the, the beginning of, of modern pharmaceutical medicine. Do you think it really is solely just um, this insistence on being able to extract a single substance, test it and ultimately patent it that has caused the shift away from, from herbal medicine? Yes, pretty much so. We live in an instant gratification world as well. Um, and we like our medicines to, um, uh, I was saying how quick uh, herbs were, but they, um, they are quick in nudging uh, the, the body, uh, which means that you might go through a few stages um, of, uh, in, in terms of healing before you, you get through to the other side. Uh, Conventional drugs give the user instant relief, um, and um, you know we 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 do have opium and, and cannabis and so on, but we're not able to use them in the way that our ancestors did. So most of the work we do uh, is a little bit more um, rolling up our sleeves. Uh, in um, modern medicine, you get you, you, it's much it's so simple. You get a little white pill, and it does a job almost. Uh, you know, uh, whatever the consequences. So if you have an inflammation, you take an anti-inflammatory. Well, hey, how daft is that when you think about it? Because inflammation is the body's mechanism for healing and repairing. Uh, so anti-inflammatories just provide the relief without the um, without the, the consequences being worked through. So it's, it's led by the human need for quick 
you know, solutions without working on it. That's just human nature. Uh, but it's also, of course, uh, led by the need to monetize and, and provide a base, a financial basis for this and an and industry indeed. So you do have to have patentable uh, products. Um, there's a whole industry of research and development that uh, underpins all this, which right. is again part of the way we like to run our society. You know, we like to have trains and buses and taxis and so on. <laughs> we also like to have medicines that do the same sort of thing. Right. So it's a modern shift, um, but you don't have to go very far uh, to see that people do still stick to the old rules. I mean, uh, I once made a mischievous observation that there were only five countries in the world where herbal medicine was not dominant. Uh, and they were the UK, the USA, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And you can sort of work out there's a sort of common theme there. All you have to do is step across the channel, um, and every French pharmacist will have a very large selection of herbal medicines on their display, um, almost a dominant selection. Um, and the further east you go through Europe, the more you find everyday herbal use is the norm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I lived in Germany myself for many years and um, herbal medicine, even from, from traditional doctors, is, is still very much prescribed and, and often the first port of call, which leads me actually on to my next question, because I think one of the reasons why it's um, um, agreeable, if you like, is because I think a lot of people feel that it's a gentle type of medicine. My concern is that I think a lot of people make the mistake in thinking because it's a herb and it's a natural medicine, it's also completely safe. And that's not the truth. Could you address that point a little bit? Yes, I come back to the point that this was not gentle medicine originally. Uh, the French have a word, médecin douce, uh, which I think sums it up quite well, you know, soft medicine. Mm -hmm. um, uh, to describe what you're talking about here. Uh, the herbs that I use... Well, as every patient, my patient will confirm, is anything but gentle, um, and they taste as though you've been hit in the in the face by the back end of a donkey. You know, I mean, it's rarely the, the original herbal medicine was pretty robust. Uh, we have t we have for all sorts of cautious uh, and prudent reasons um, sold herbs over the counter and, and you know, in, in various outlets uh, that by definition have to be safer. And so the doses are much lower than would be used in traditional practice. Um, uh, and from that has grown the idea that herbs are very gentle and you need to take them for weeks or months. Um, it's not the medicine that determines how long you need to take the herbs for. It's the condition. And um, if you've got a long-term condition, you need a long job to repair it. You can't switch a 15-year-old problem overnight. Uh, in my practice, I have a quick rule of thumb, which says that for every year you've had a problem, you need about a month of recovery. And on a shorter time scale, for every month you've had a problem, you need about a week of recovery. So you get a sense that this is dependent on the chronicity, the length of time of the condition, uh, rather than the medicine itself. And we've tended to see herbs, as I say, in the shops and so on, uh, as being very much at the gentle end of the spectrum, uh, which is fine because, you know, if you haven't got any, if you don't know anything about herbs, if you're just trying them for the first time, if you're on your own, it's probably best that you have something pretty gentle. But that's not the condition that I work with. 
I was um, thinking also in terms of of actual, um, we call them side effects in conventional drugs, but I mean, the point is that not all herbal remedies are harmless. It's, it's even though the, 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 I remember once a dear friend of mine actually tried some echinacea, I think that's how you pronounce it, isn't it? Um, in order to support the immune system, happened to actually be somebody who suffered quite severely from allergic asthma and promptly nearly died from this, um, from taking this herbal remedy because he was massively allergic against it. So, I mean, they're not they're not harmless, even though they're natural. That that was what I was. Perhaps no, no, to no, no, I quite agree, and I should have made that clear. I mean, nature is not harmless, uh, as we know. Every time we see a storm, um, uh, nature is some is a force you treat with huge respect. And that's the main point I would make. Um, Absolutely. You said that most of the side effects reported in some of the uh, more hostile press turn out not to be substantiated. So uh, we have uh, my colleague and I, um, Kerry Bone, who've written some of the books on this, um, have uh, compiled a pretty robust review of the evidence for interactions and for side effects. And uh, they're there, definitely. Um mm-hmm. Uh, most of them are what we call idiosyncratic. In other words, there's an individual reaction to something like your um, friend with echinacea mm-hmm. uh, rather than something that's generalized. Um, but there are some herbs that we clearly put cautions around. There's some that are plants that are poisonous um, that we don't obviously use because of that. And there's a spectrum uh, from the most dangerous to the almost banal safe Um, but within that there's all sorts of things that you do need to take into account but you know when you buy something uh, most of that's factored in so you'll get the safety things pretty much what kind of conditions can you actually treat with herbal medicine is it across the board or are there specific types of conditions for which it's particularly applicable well, the first answer is that none, uh, because I don't treat conditions. Um, uh, I'm working with individuals in right answer. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, uh, I don't claim to treat any condition at all, uh, but I'm pretty damn good at working a plan through with an individual uh, that I'm, you know, working with in the in the consultation, <clears throat> and in that case, almost anything. Um, in fact, I would say almost everyone can find some benefit from using plants um, unless they're in an extreme, you know, hypersensitivity or, um, you know, immunosuppressant or some other very intense situation. But, you know, that's one in 10,000 people. Most people, uh, there are ways in which we can help them. Uh, So that's the way I would put it. Um, but your question is, are there things that her, that people can find herbs helping with? And the answer is yes. Um, the herbs are particularly good in uh, digestion, uh, and that's because that's where they work. That's where they start working. Uh, you know, almost everything we consume has to start working in the gut, and so not surprisingly, that's where we start the conversation. Um, and herbs are particularly good for helping with upset digestion. And then it goes on from there. They're, they tend. There's a lot of herbs that are very good for calming, uh, there's, you know, and helping to relax. Um, there's a lot of herbs that are very good for building up your energy, uh, almost like foods with knobs on, uh, tonics sometimes have been called. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're very real 
you know, uh, tools in helping people to restore or convalesce. Uh, that's something that's always been a very strong point in traditional medicine. Um, uh, the herbs can often help uh, very much with um, uh, helping detox processes in the body, the liver primarily and the kidneys. Uh, these are constantly working on clearing junk out of the system and there are many well-trodden paths which help the liver to help the uh, kidneys and help the bowel, of course, uh, in clearing junk. Um, and that can be very useful in chronic long-term conditions. Uh, the list actually does go on and on. I can just talk about various angles on hers for a very long time. <laughs> Which I wish we could do because I find it absolutely fascinating. So for the um, patient, if they were to go and consult um, a medical herbalist, um, what, what does a consultation look like? What, how, how does it take shape? Well, it will change with whoever you go, but there's a general um, common theme really is that you have an initial an hour or so uh, where you, because you're starting with a stranger, we don't have NHS notes to fall back on. We don't have a computer screen that shows your life story in front of us on the table, on the desk. So we start with a clean sheet of paper. In my case, literally a blank sheet of paper. Um, and we just fill in the story and that takes, you know, an hour on most cases, sometimes longer. Um, and in, from that, we uh, put all the uh, medical history we can uh, and the health stories that the patient can share. Uh, we then go through the various bodily uh, body functions. Uh, we're looking for clues in how you handle with your food, what your bowels are like, uh, blood pressure and various other things we check um, and we go we, we basically do a full MOT we do a full review of uh, the body in that hour um, uh, where some of us use things like tongue assessments uh, which are an old traditional way of understanding how how the constitution is working others take pulse and various other old tr style observations a uh, few um, uh, rely on blood tests and biochemical measures. It's a great variety of uh, ways in which any practitioner can approach. But essentially, the bottom line is you get usually an hour or so. And then you, in certainly my case, you, you walk out with a prescription, a combination of herbs, uh, liquid herbs in most cases, because you can blend them, um, to come up with a mixture that is entirely, in my case, unique. I don't think I've ever prescribed the same mixture twice in um, 42 years of practice because you've got, you know, 100 or more, 20, 130, 140 herbs to choose from and you've got an individual in front of you that you've just shared a whole hour with. Inevitably, you're going to come up with a mixture that is unique to that person. And maybe even the next time they come, they may have yet another. So it's very tailored, not off-the-shelf approach. So that's um, personalised medicine Par, ex, par excellence. Yeah, par excellence, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, for a patient who will be looking to contact um, um, a herbalist, I, I know in myself that I've actually tried to do this, and it's not immediately easy to find one. Just for people who are unfamiliar with herbal medicine but feel like it's something they'd like to try, what things do you have to look out for, and where can you go to actually find properly qualified um, and skilled practitioners? 
Well, it is, as you say, a bit of a jungle because, you know, on the basis of this um, conversation, you can suddenly decide you want to be a herbalist and nothing can stop you. Uh, there's no laws, there's no licenses. Um, you know, all you need to do is to open up your shop on, or open up your practice, you know, just say, I'm here, come and see me. Um, so it, that's pretty, sounds a bit nightmarish. Uh, the reality is, of course, that, you know, uh, the the people find who the good ones are. So the first thing is to go on on reputation. You know, if you know somebody, you know somebody. Um, but there are a couple more formal wins you can do. The, the, there are a number of traditions of herbal medicine. There's Western, there's Chinese, there's uh, Ayurvedic Indian, and Tibetan even. Um, there are a range of uh, uh, disciplines out there. There's something called the European Herbal uh, EHTPA, the European Herbal Traditional Practitioners Association. So it's ehtpa.eu. And on that, there's a website which has the professional associations who belong to this umbrella, and all of whom have pretty um, robust educational and professional standards as part of their membership. So from there, you can you can drill down and find the approach that suits you and go to the um, professional body's website um, and find practitioners from there uh, and if you're going through a professional body you're at least you're getting the assurance of you know a, a professional uh, support um, if you have problems um, the codes of practice and various other things that you would like, like to see as a patient um, so ehtpa.eu best place to go if you want to find a direct find directories perfect perfect Getting back to the medicines themselves, of course, um, one thing which is inevitable that we have to talk about because it's on everybody's lips these days is CBD oil. Um, how do you stand on that first as a, um, a medicine in itself, but also the issues with the legislation and preventing it from being accessible? Well, it's it's clearly a very interesting area at, uh, of um, uh, of of uh, um, research, um, and uh, I personally think there's a great potential for it. Uh, I'm also aware, of course, that you need to have um, um, uh, you know all the all the checks and balances in place, um, particularly if you're putting something on labels for the wider public. It's unfortunately. Uh, we've learned that it's very easy to mislead um, when you're when you're putting labels on. There's all sorts of uh, legislation preventing making health claims, for example, which on the whole I support because it's too easy to rip people off. Um, so um, uh, the case for CBD is not so much whether the remedy has value hemp has value which i'm sure it does but what you say about it and what you can claim for it and are there any other cautions you need to put in and i think that's a that's a work in progress so you know i'm i'm um, very intrigued by the prospects um and i know there's lots of stories of it making a great deal of difference which some of my patients indeed um so, so i'm looking forward to that all shaking out of the wash <laughs> um, an extenuation of that, the whole conversation, simply because of the, uh, the the problems associated with it in a more perhaps social context, is also um, there's definitely an increased trend, perhaps amongst younger people, to go down the road of plant medicine, but they 
view that as quite a different kind of plant medicine. I'm talking here about more of the sort of psychedelic experiences. Now, there has been some superb um, new data showing how effective some of these substances can be in helping with psychological problems, PTSD and depression. Um, I have an, a bit of an issue with people just going and taking these amazingly mind-altering drugs without any kind of control or, um, you know, as almost recreational. How do you how do you feel about that? Well, you know, they say, you know, uh, there's nothing new in this world. I come from a generation that did this, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, and I have to say with much more intensity than the current one is. So I think we've been there and done that. And we have people like R.D. Lang in, uh, in psychiatric medicine um, who has, you know, developed the challenges um, of this sort of approach, uh, as I say, 50 years ago. Um, and, you know, there's a the obvious lesson is that you don't go into this, you know, blindly um, to to use psychoactive um, remedies at all requires a huge degree of um, uh, professional responsibility, to put it, uh, if you're going to use that in any therapeutic sense. Um, and, you know, the simple fact is that we can't because it's against the law. Uh, so people who are doing it are doing it outside, and that, of course, opens up the possibility that as we used to say in the 1960s they could have a bum trip um, you know uh, it's because without proper support and care and most of these things were done in community settings in the old days uh, if you're doing it on your own or in a in a, uh, a non-congenial environment uh, then there are risks um, so it's an area once upon a time that I got very fascinated with but I sort of realized that the work required to make this a safe option is beyond most people's uh, management skills um you get easily damaged yeah yeah exactly so for the person sitting at home um we all have our sort of like medicine cabinets in the house with with a bottle of antiseptic a few plasters and a bit of cream here and there is there an equivalent that one could actually stock up at home um, of herbal remedies that could be useful? And if so, what would they be? Well, you've already got it. You've got a spice cupboard. Okay. Yeah. About two-thirds of all the remedies you need are already there in your spice cupboard. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, and you can extend that by going, I work with Pucker, for example, the tea people, and uh, you can get these spices and, and your tea, you know, make lovely herbal teas with it. But cinnamon and ginger, uh, cardamom, uh, the, the chilies, um, all those spices that the fennel is of this world, uh, and into the herbs, the rosemaries and the sages, um, uh, lemon balm, chamomile, these are all things that are almost certainly close to hand already. And they provide a great bedrock um, for treating yourself. And all you need to do is to read up about them to see how exciting some of them are, you know, uh, my favourites are the cinnamons, gingers of this world um, because of their role across a number of fronts. They certainly help with digestion straight up. Uh, they help with um, improving the tone and activity of the circulation. Um, and many inflammatory problems, well, all inflammatory problems, begin at the blood vessel wall, the small blood vessel walls, which is exactly where these spices have their main action. So their role in managing inflammatory problems is massive. 
uh, and people are now realizing this. And of course, of that group, turmeric is the one that has rarely stood out in modern times for its role, both as a warming digestive spice, but also as an inflammatory modulator. Interestingly, in case of turmeric, everyone uh, agonizes about how much curcumin you know this has because curcumin is seen to be the drug, the, the agent in, in turmeric, which has all the actual. That's and uh, that's getting us back into the modern bind again. Turmeric was not curcumin. Turmeric was a lovely warming spice, and uh, almost all of its activities can be explained by its effect in the gut. We don't need uh, to absorb the curcumin at all. Uh, and the ramifications of hitting the gut well with something like turmeric or cinnamon or ginger um, uh, is, is phenomenal in all sorts of ways, up to and including the way in which we manage our brain. Fascinating. Talking about the gut, of course, another big issue in medicine these days, I think is actually going to really revolutionize medicine when we begin to understand it much more, of course, is the microbiome. Um, these plants, do they also have direct effects in that respect? So not just on us, but also on our, our bugs? Yep. Uh, in fact, I'm giving a uh, presentation this very Saturday to my professional colleagues on the way in which uh, plants lever the microbiome and there's a lot of fascinating new work being done. Um, uh, the, the microbiome is a, in shorthand is, a, is a, we can consider a little bit like uh, farmers, organic farmers might consider the soil. It's a complex system that be best is nurtured and nourished um, so that it can do what it's meant to do which is to essentially pretty much run our lives. I mean, when I did medical school, uh, medical sciences, uh, I learned only a fraction of what we now know, which is that uh, the kidney functions, the liver functions, the heart and vascular functions are largely determined by the microbiome. Uh, they they have hundred times more gene capacity than the rest of us. Um, you know, they, they, they're messaging all the time and our bodies are essentially a, a partnership between our host cells and our, our, our um, uh, guests uh, in the gut. Um, so the microbiome is A, extraordinarily important, and B, increasingly looks as though, again, with plants, we have some really good levers on it. And if we see the microbiome as a bit like the soil, then we're looking at things that will feed and support and nourish it. Um, and again, you know, we start with obvious things like fiber and uh, 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 non-digested food materials that you get in vegetables and cereals and so on. Uh, but we now understand that things like turmeric, for example, is a prebiotic, uh, di directly so. Uh, most of the plants that we think of as um, healthy, the polyphenols, um, the ones that we keep being told we ought to eat more of, um, uh, you know, uh, the green vegetables and, fr and fruits and so on, uh, those polyphenols are also prebiotic. Um, you know, the good news is that cocoa, which is one of the highest polyphenol contents um, on any food that we eat, uh, is powerfully prebiotic. Um, uh, when you use a bitter or when you use a hot spice, you're actually manipulating from afar levers that have direct impact on the state of the microbiome. So you're quite right. Microbiome is one of the new focuses, um, and um, it's one I think that we've got a really powerful story to tell. 
And on that note, um, Simon, where do you see the the future of herbal medicine going? I mean, what what can you know? The long and the short of it is that our conventional approaches to medicine are clearly not as effective in a lot of certainly chronic diseases we would have liked. Secondly, modern medicine is outrageously expensive, and long term, it's just not going to be supportable and sustainable. So. There is a look to complementary medicine in general um, as a way of perhaps supporting that. What, what's your view on that? What's your view on the on the role of herbal medicine in the future? The uh, future of um, uh, the, 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 the the future of herbal medicine, I think, is extraordinarily important. Um, it is just in those chronic conditions that you describe the um, dementias, the diabetes, the cardiovascular disease, um, chronic inflammatory diseases, as you say, where short-term uh, med- medical treatments don't apply um, uh, or don't um, uh, only have a short, uh, don't fix the long-term problem. Um, to be able to substitute um, cups of herbal teas and high herb diets, for example, uh, does sound a much more attractive. And we now know that there are real mechanisms, for example, to treat um, dementia and cardiovascular and, and diabetic complications through their effect on the vasculature, through the effect on neuroinflammation, where plants are rarely showing uh, real benefit. I see the future is very much plant. Wonderful. Yes, I would like to do that too. How much research is actually being done? Because, I mean, inevitably, if you're not going to end up with a product at the end that is essentially patentable, it's very difficult to get the money to fund the research. So is there a lot of good research being being conducted worldwide? Um, there is not as much as we would like. Um, uh, the... Uh, um, you know the 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 simple fact is that research needs to be paid for by somebody, and it's very expensive. Um, if you don't have a government funding you, uh, then you have to do it on the basis of some commercial return, and that's difficult. If all you're doing is showing that a herb has an effect, and all your competitors are going to sell it on the back of your research, so you know unless you can patent something, it uh, rather disincentivizes you. Uh, but it is going on, and uh, you know, we've just uh, um, my company has just uh, uh, been in the press today on a big study that we're supporting at Southampton on the role of andrographis in uh, managing common cold problems. Um, andrographis being an Asian remedy, um, that you know, it, it it can be done, but it's hard work, and there's not nearly as much. Right. Right. And my last um, main question is that, that we, we've seen a rise, um, apart from the chronic diseases and a lot of other types of diseases, particularly in children, things like um, the diagnosis of ADHD, um, autism, so on and so forth. Are these areas where plants um, and herbal medicine can play a supportive and therapeutic role, or is that out of the scope? It's probably better to start on the food front than the plant front, particularly. And then, obviously, foods primarily are, uh, in this case, plant-based. But with young people, there is obviously there's resistance to some of these things, and the taste and the general approach doesn't always fit. Um, so I think that's something that is much better 
treated in the whole, in the round, in terms of the whole life and environmental circumstances in which these things are happening. You know, the impacts that uh, young people are being exposed to at the moment is something that's well beyond this. Um, and one of the, you know, the best ways I think the plants might help is by starting with what they eat. Right. And what would that be, roughly? <laughs> well, something, again, constantly very individual, but we're looking at low inflammatory foods, which are almost certainly plant-based. So it's basically more plants, a uh, bit, bit of fish. Um, but, you know, as the man said, you know, eat modestly and eat more plants. That seems to be one way of summarizing the story. Right. You must be you must be very pleased at seeing the, the big vegan movement that, that's definitely taking taking shape at the moment. Uh, well, yes and no. Um, I mean, as uh, as has been pointed out, veganism is actually quite a modern concept. There's very few uh, people who don't have some sort of animal protein or other. So we, we, we've got to take a rain check on the long-term health impacts of having no animal protein. Uh, I'm sure there are ways around and certainly, you know, you can get around most of these things simply by having a wide diversity in your uh, vegan diet. Um, but um, uh, there are questions still to be answered about what the long-term impact is. So I'm obviously keen that we have more vegetable, less plant, uh, less animal, um, more plant and less animal. Uh, 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 what I'm, I'm still looking through is, the, is, is what, well, everyone's different. So there are some people who thrive more on this than others. There are some with more carnivorous metabolisms. Uh, we have to take account of all these diversities. Um, uh, so yes, very much so, more plants. Um, veganism, I'm still having a, uh, taking a rain check on <laughs> for everybody in that. Right. One of the things that I notice, I mean, we, you know, the, the, the delineation between a medicine and a foodstuff is is kind of a bit grey in this in this area because essentially food food is medicine. But I mean, the one thing that I notice, for example, is if you actually go to uh, the supermarket or even a specialist greengrocer, that your selection is really limited. I mean, I walk around and I just go, oh, same old stuff over and over again. And yet, if you look outside in the plant world. There's millions and millions and millions of different plants. What's your feeling about that, 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 to try and sort of encourage bringing in more diversity into what's available for people to actually eat rather than even getting on to the point of going and having specific medicines? Well, I quite agree. Um, our diversity in our diet is, is strangely restricted, even though we can buy from Ecuador and from Africa equally, as um, our ancestors used to have to rely on what was in the next garden. Um, we do have the opportunity to be very diverse, um, and some of us take it, of course. You know, the, the, uh, Some of us really enjoy a variety of, um, of, of food sources, uh, but it, uh, it, the, the reality is, is that most people are not, and that is sad. Mm. Mm -hmm. So what's a good place to start for somebody who's listening who thinks, well, okay, um, I'm interested in herbal medicine. I'm interested in eating more diverse things, so, you know, plant as, plants as medicine and as food. Um, where's a good place for somebody to start who really doesn't know anything about this? Because the internet is is full of as much misinformation as information. Yeah, very dangerous place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, WebMD. Don't go there. <laughs> well, I think I, we always start. I, I, would, I would always start from the core, which is your digestion. And I would start 
eating more exciting things. And all the evidence, particularly in terms of modern chronic condition diseases, as points to um, we, we used to talk about eating Mediterranean diets or eating, you know, that sort of food, and we know roughly what that means. But I think the, 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 we've moved further east in our recommendation now. And now one simple thing is eat like an Asian um, and go and find some good cookbooks that really excite you. And you don't have to go very far east. You can go to eastern Mediterranean, you know, Greek and Lebanese and uh, Arabic and Middle Eastern and Persian foods and go through the uh, continent right through to China at the other end. Um, the first thing you notice is that they use a lot more spices, which we just said have real benefits and increasingly probably our life insurance policies. Secondly, they introduce a much greater variety of vegetables and fruits and other plants, and they just excite the palate. Mm -hmm. They're just great fun. And that's a good basis, I think, to, to extend your interest in plants. Wonderful. And if you had a sort of a take-home message for people listening, what, what would that be? Either a recommendation of something everybody should be taking on a regular basis or... Uh... It's very simple. Eat like an Asian. Eat like a nation. Great. There are three little questions I ask all of my guests when they come on. So um, London Heal is all about mind, body, spirit, medicine. Um, and I like to encapsulate that in the terms health, happiness and serenity. So for you personally, Simon, how do you actually define health? What does it mean to you? It means not knowing you're ill. That's a great way. I've never heard that before. That's a fabulous way of looking at it. Can you expand a bit? I uh, don't think you need to. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as you start talking about your health, you're becoming less healthy. The, the healthy person does not even have to think about it. And that is a, a, a clue to the real, what I see as, as the real uh, truth behind this, which is that we are marvellous, miraculous, self-organising beings uh, that do not need puppets to pull us together. We health bubbles up uh, innately from each cell of our right. body. And all we have to do is get out of the way. Yep, I totally agree with that. And what about happiness? What do you do to find happiness? And even the pursuit of happiness, do you think that's something that's important? Of course. Um, we all have crosses to bear. Uh, we can't make the world a perfect place. I'm most impressed by the quality of the craftsperson who can sublimate his or her stresses and anxieties in the work they produce and a good craftsman whether it's a cook or whether it's a wood turner or a carpenter or a sculptor or a gardener is you usually note very quiet uh, but um, produces marvelous things often in direct proportion to the amount of pressures and strains they're under because they've learned how to channel and they're not usually happy people of what they produce but everyone else thinks they're wonderful um i think that the the quality of being able to um uh, focus down on something to uh, transcend the noise and turn it into a activity and a production the crafts approach is i think my personal 
Yeah, I agree. Actually, it's almost meditative, isn't it? It is absolutely. Which leads, which leads into my last last point, which is serenity, because there is obviously an overlap there. So, other than those kind of approaches, do you have any practices which allow you to turn down the noise, such as a meditation practice or something else? Just walk under a tree. Absolutely, absolutely, great. Thank you so much, Simon. I have one very last question, which is actually something for me personally, because I just recently released an episode talking about allergies, because we're now full into the beginning of allergy season. Are there any really good plant remedies to help us with the allergies and uh, the seasonal allergies, particularly that we're dealing with at this time of year? Well, you've just asked me to walk into a trap that I've just got out of. I don't treat conditions. You don't treat conditions, right. But there are plants we tend to choose from. Most of them, unfortunately, not available across the counter. Um, but they're, you know, it, we have to ask what an allergy is, and it's an overreaction in one part of our very complex immune functions. Um, so the question is why, why? Where's the imbalance? And that takes you further. Almost always you have to come back to the digestion of the gut, which is where... Almost all our immune system happens to lo- locate. Um, so starting there is almost always a good place. They come up with a strategy which induces calm in the immune functions, probably starting with the gut and the way you eat and what you eat. Um, those are where I would always start the conversation. Um, right. I was encouraging somebody without access to some of these more specialized remedies. Right. No, there's an over-the-counter thing that I would say across the board. I know that there are, there are various products. I think there's a product which includes things like um, ribwort or plantago lanceolata uh, as, a, as a licensed medicine, which is sometimes helps with some of the symptoms of uh, rhinitis, you know, hay fever. Mm-hmm. But uh, these are all, you know, uh, painting over the surface, really. Right. You need to get underneath this to come to the bonnet. Right. Fabulous. Thank you so much. We haven't gone into super detail of specific plants. Um, I don't think that we really have the time to do that. Um, perhaps in a future uh, date, we can actually have a look at a few classes of, of plants and talk about them in a little bit more detail. Um, I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to give us this kind of like overview and just open up the conversation and talk and make people aware that there is a whole other branch of medicine out there that might actually really, really help them. So thank you, Simon. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. Thank you, Tanya. Right. Well, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. As you know, I'm a great proponent of plant medicines, of all types of medicines that um, nudge the body, as Simon so beautifully put it, into doing what it already knows how to do best. Um, And as he pointed out, even though one is nudging the body, herbal medicines can be extremely useful for acute conditions as well as um, long-term chronic conditions. And although most of the substances that you will get over the counter um, are relatively harmless, one should never assume that just because something is a plant remedy that it actually is not in any way, shape or form dangerous. One just has to consider what happens if you eat the wrong type of mushroom when you go outside 
um, what can happen there. So please inform yourselves, take care. There's plenty of information that's available. Of course, I highly recommend Simon's books. And um, think about whether or not herbal medicine may be something for you in the future. And don't forget to stock up your spice cabinet at home. And of course, I would like to ask you that if you find this information interesting and useful, to please pass it on. Go over to iTunes, rate and review us, please. Um, and also over on Facebook, you can like our page and have a look at any of the posts that are there. And of course, everything is open for you to freely distribute. And we highly encourage you to do precisely that. Please share shamelessly, as I always say. And if you would like to have extended show notes for future episodes, please go over and subscribe to our list over on londonheal.com, become a London Heal Insider, and whenever there's a new episode, you'll receive an email with extended show notes as well as access links to the new episode. And so, my dear listeners, that just leaves me to wish you, as always, perhaps this time a herbal health, happiness and serenity. <laughs>